Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. You are joined by your usual hosts here. Uh, we've got Tom Mannering. Hello. And myself, Josh Hartley. How are we doing this week, Tom? I'm doing well, Josh. Thank you very much. How are you? Yes, not bad, thank you. Not bad. Um, not much to report, really. It's been... Other than I had your um, the Star Wars game that you, you run on mm-hmm. Tuesday night. That's continuing to be fun. Um it's great playing a sassy little R-Droid. Although, we had um, a moment of... Uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot I, about the droid-on-droid combat. No, there was, no, I wasn't referring to that. So, okay. uh, Sorry, listeners. Uh, the, the session culminated in uh, Duel of the Fates. It was my astromech droid versus an Imperial astromech droid. <laughs> two, two arc welders at dawn. Yeah, round barely doing any damage to each other. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was funny, you know, in a very anticlimactic the, way. The, the funny thing was, uh, so the mechanics of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG means that your uh, your allies can give you buffs if they roll particularly well with their roll. So it resulted in like everyone else in the party just giving me bonus dice just to try and finish this and this astromech off and it was just like guys can you could one of you just come in and kill it please the thing was like there were these big fights going the the way i envisioned it was like the two astromech droids were in the <laughs> middle of the bridge and then there's these big fights going on around them and like the two astromech droids are just sort of circling each other it's a bit like uh the start of guardians of the galaxy 2 where baby groot's kind of dancing yes and in the background you've got this like epic combat kind of going on and that's basically what was going on and then they're kind of like they the party was so invested in you winning this 1v1 astromech fight that they were giving all of their resources to you and it still wasn't helping much no i am not I'm not built for combat, and and that's fine. I knew that when I was creating R3. It's like, I am going to be shit hot at, like, computers, mechanics, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I'm going to be a chocolate teapot when it comes to combat, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm at peace with that. We've got guys who are good in a fight, so that's okay. Um, And that's that's totally fair, right? Like, to, to have that bit of balance... But I think it was it was funny that like they'd finished off everybody else in the fight, <laughs> and they were literally like, "No, no, don't intervene." It's, yeah, it's, it's stood his in a fight. circle, <laughs> stood in a circle around these two droids. <laughs> no. You you had to ask them to like step in yeah. because it would have taken probably several it, it, seconds. It, 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 yeah, absolutely forever. No, the the bit that I that makes me laugh was uh, we had to. So the, this the ship that we're on is. Uh, being massively damaged by an internal um, an internal threat, um, and one of the first things we did was go to life support to get that repaired, which we were able to. I was able to locate the the three points where it needed repairing, and again, like I said, my character R three is great at uh, computers and great at mechanics, so I was like. All right, yeah, some mechanics checks for R3 to complete. These points are in a crawl space, and I'm playing an astromech droid. 
So the, there's this moment where we were trying to get my my droid around the first corner and he couldn't manage it. <laughs> couldn't manage it. And then we tried to send the Wookiee in and he couldn't manage he it got either. Stuck. Yeah. Like Winnie stuck the like Pooh. Like the Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kind of had to send um our combat specialist, uh, mm-hmm. Ryan's character Cal, uh, went in with not that much training in mechanics, and I was there over the radio just aiding him, basically, just going, you got to do this, da da da, da. And then, of course, um, a squad of uh, droids um, rock up while our guy who's super good in combat is uh, in crawl in the crawl space. So that was fun. But we we overcame all of that. You did? I mean, you guys are bossing it, really. Like, you've had a... Uh, Dave's new Wookiee character took a, a blaster bolt to the knee... Uh, at point blank range, uh, which which is kind of the first big injury you've had in this uh, yeah. this module that we're doing. Um, but you guys have been been fairly stomping some some droids, uh, albeit you know protocol droids and astromech droids for the most part, but still, yeah, and you've been putting still. the putting the hurt on them, which is it's been fun to watch because the last game we had the last story arc, you guys obviously took a kick in uh, and had to kind of run away with your tail between your legs uh so it's nice for the party to kind of have a chance to to come out swinging uh and get a bit of uh i mean see when you're when you're devising these um these arcs Mm. is that something that's maybe in the back of your mind because you know it's great to have like challenging scenarios but i do enjoy after having one of those particularly when it hasn't gone well Going, going a bit easy and just feeling feeling like we're kicking ass again? Yeah, it was kind of um, a little bit of that. So I kind of have a general map of... So I, I run, for most of my games, I either run pre-written campaigns or I'll take modules from, from different uh, sources uh, and kind of knit them together into a, mm. a campaign. And our Star Wars game is sort of episodic, but much like Star Wars, uh, funnily enough. Um mm. So I kind of have ideas for ones that I'm going to run. Um, and the one you're running is one that I was like, I do want to run this at some point. I hadn't really decided when I was going to run it. Sure. And then after the last module, you, you guys had taken a beating. And the other thing was you had been written out of kind of half of it because R3 had had to go off planet to escape the Imperials. Yeah. So I thought I kind of want to have a session that's going to be a bit more josh centric uh r3 centric to give you a bit of time to kind of shine and loads of computer checks yeah Yeah. i thought this has got a lot of stuff to do with like repairing a ship and mechanics and it's got droids as like the main antagonist so that's kind of a fun sort of juxtaposition to Mm. to r3 who's obviously a a very devout uh rebellion droid because of his second personality um and i think r3 is probably you know leaning more towards uh the rebellion as well as a result of the party's actions yeah so i kind of thought it'd be it'd be a nice session to to not only feature r3 as kind of uh, one of the main characters of this arc but also because it's actually from one of the the more beginner centric uh supplements it's actually from the 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 modules from the age of rebellion gm screen um i thought that's actually going to be quite an easy one uh so it'll be a nice sort of palette cleanser let you guys kind of come out swinging and it, it gives it's got a different kind of focus to to the, the other sessions that we've kind of played as well 
So mm-hmm. that, that was kind of in the back of my mind. I was like, I don't really want to go into another big story because Assault on Order 1 that we were doing previously is a big, you know, it's a book in itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a three-part narrative, whereas Dead in the Water that we're doing now, technically I think is 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 two or three parts, but they're much shorter. It's a, it's more yeah. a pamphlet than a book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a booklet, probably, uh, is, is something closer to what it is. So, yeah, I think that was definitely in the back of my mind. Yeah, neat. neat. So... So no, I, I, I've had that. I think that's the only real gaming I've been doing. I've been playing a lot of um, Total War Warhammer. I'm still, uh, still deep that. into that. Oh man, I'm not playing the new one though. I'm playing the second one right now because the new one they haven't launched uh, what they're calling Immortal Empires. That's when they're going to bring all of the existing factions into the new game. Right. Okay. Um, it's so the, the factions that you can play in the new in. Number three are Ogres, Kislev, Cathay, the four Chaos Gods, and Chaos Undivided. Right. And I don't really want to play any of those guys. Like No? What no, what what I would have definitely been all over if they were included as a race would have been Chaos Dwarfs. Sure. Uh, and if they're heavily rumoured that they're gonna be coming as a DLC at some point. Makes sense. Um but no, I've just been I've been finishing playing uh, a campaign as your favourite douchebags and mine, uh, the High Elves. Oh god! <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's funny actually. I have a lot of the um, army books from Eighth Edition Warhammer. Yeah, uh, I, I collected them because they this is when out. they went to hardback, wasn't yeah, it? They're they really were nice, really really nice books. And I got I didn't get all of them, but I got a good number of them. Uh, and I've been I think I mentioned on previous episodes I've been doing a lot of selling and stuff on eBay and I was like am I going to sell these and I was kind of looking through them as to whether or not I was going to sell them and I got to the high elf one and I was like man I remember how busted Swordmasters of Earth were in this edition yeah jeez yeah they're they're, they're that in the video game as well Uh, so I was playing as Tyrion but I eventually got uh, Teclis confederated into my Teclis is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, he's a one-man army. <laughs> they they were they were a beast of a force, you know. I, I, yeah. Like, I remember playing against them uh, when I dabbled, and you just you you really struggled against high elves. They they were, if if memory serves, they were solid for the majority of the meta of eighth edition. The the big thing they had going for them was, if I remember correctly. Everything they had had always strikes, always strikes first. first. Even so when, if you've got a heavy weapon and things like that. Yeah. So when you're, w- w- yeah, when when the enemy is always hitting you first, it's very difficult to to overcome that. Yeah. I mean, people complain about power creep in like Age of Sigmar and 40k at the moment. Power creep was so bad in Faith <laughs> Edition Warhammer Fantasy. It was. It was. It was one of those editions, and and this is often the case, but I think it was really evident in Eighth Eighth Edition of Warhammer. If you had the newer book, you had a leg up, mm-hmm. like unquestionably. Um, and if you had an old book, like War Betide You, if you had a previous editions. Oh Armour yeah, book. those those poor Bretonian players. Yeah, you were you were <laughs> buggered. Like it was, it was no chance in hell. I think the, the saddest thing for me about the shift from eighth edition to Age of Sigmar is eight in eighth edition Tomb Kings got a bit of a like 
update. They got you know yes. they got a nice book. They got some new models and that. And then in, in Age of Sigma, they kind of got shelved pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I I loved the Tomb King fluff. Like I, I don't. Oh, they're they're fantastic. Fact. Yeah. Funnily enough, I started a new campaign this morning as the Tomb Kings. There you and go. So there we are. Do you yeah. start in like desert places if you play yes. as them? Oh, that's good. So. Uh, you start in. I, I'm playing Setra. Is it Nekrak uh, or something they're from? I can't remember. Yeah, name, yeah. so I'm, I'm playing in the like the desert of Araby, mm. basically. So I'm, I'm still in the very early stages of the campaign. Um, so I mean, I, I have a soft spot anyway for sort of Egyptian undead. You know, like your mm. your mummies uh, and things like that, and even like your sphinxes and and I don't know skeletons in the desert just always kind of appealed to me you know our first crossover we ever did was was pretty yeah. much that uh because it's an aesthetic I, I love like you know pharaohs and mummies and uh mm. all that kind of stuff so tomb kings brandon fraser all oh, about yeah. that brandon fraser's <laughs> like first two mummy films are flawed masterpieces in, in my opinion uh <laughs> no they're great fun <laughs> yeah they're, they're great fun the third one is is not so great i i I didn't even know there was a third one. Jeez. Yeah, Tomb oh. of the God, Dragon God or Emperor Dragon yeah. or something like that. I can't remember. I nearly said Tomb of the God Emperor, but I really hope no. that's not what it is. No. It's it's basically I think it's like Japanese or Chinese mummies, if memory serves. And I'm I'm sorry if yeah. I'm getting that wrong. If if somebody's a an aficionado, but like it's it's got um oh, what's his name really. Really prominent Asian actor at the time. I can't think of the guy's the guy's name. Um, anyway, it's got a, got a really big name in it, uh, right. and they go to like uh, I think it's like the Himalayas or something like that. It's a really it's a yeah. weird film, uh, but it's 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 not great. But I still kind of like it because uh, yes. it's Brendan Fraser and you know mummies. Uh, I, I might need to go and watch those after this. Uh, <laughs> Glad that could be of service. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, that's I, I love that aesthetic. And when I was looking at what list I was going to do in Eighth Edition, because that was when I got into Warhammer Fantasy, so a bit late in the game. Um, actually, no, I got in just on the tail end of Seventh because I was looking at either Tomb Kings or Dwarves. Those were my mm. my two sort of top contenders, and I went for Dwarves in the end. And I I kind of regret not doing Tomb Kings because they kind of disappeared, and yeah, it would have been nice to kind of do them but at the same time at least i can still use some of my dwarves so yeah that's uh that's a perk i suppose well uh to be fair i dare say that tomb kings is probably going to be one of the factions that they're going to revisit in the war the old world when yeah. that comes out like next year i would hope so, so that'd be cool um, like they're probably my bet is that they're going to touch on a lot of the factions that they didn't touch in um on the tabletop mm-hmm but they have been done in the video games. So Kislev, Cathay, uh, Brito- get Bretonia back, get Tomb Kings back. Yeah. Va- uh, vampire Pirates as well. We might see the, the Pirates of Sartosa. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be cool. I'd love to see Dogs of War back as well. They were so uh, so neat. I, I can't believe they kind of let Dogs of War slip. That just They were so interesting like the in in the narrative uh, and as as units as well they just looked so so fun you know you had the uh one, one of my favorite ones was the the halflings the halfling chefs 
Yes. Uh, that, and, and the flying machine one as well was a weird one. Like the guys who had like the wings. Yeah, uh, the Birdmen yeah. of uh, Medigliano. Yeah, they were, they were quite fun. I love that kind of stuff. I love the old world. Like I just... I'm sorry if you're an Age of Sigmar fan, but it's just not as good as the old world. Like it's just, <laughs> it's not as fun. It's not as cool. Yes, it's it's a bit more high fantasy, uh, but there's just something about the old world that was just charming that I don't, that Age of Sigmar just never had for me, in in the same way. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with old world. That'll be yeah. that'll be good. Well, that was a tangent and a half we went off on. Shall we uh, talk about some of the things that we d- said we were going to discuss in this podcast before we hit record? No, let's keep it on the tangent. Yeah, go cool. ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh... So, a, a, a brief one just to start off with, which I just thought was interesting. Uh, Paizo have announced some new uh, leadership team members. Paizo, of course, being the publishers behind Pathfinder and Starfinder. Uh, they have promoted uh, Maggie Gallagher and Rai Kong to the team. I am going to read directly from the announcement. So, uh, Maggie Gallagher and Rai Kong have been promoted to the leadership team. Both have also received promotions in line with that responsibility. Rai Kong is now Vice President of Technology, and Maggie Gallagher is now Vice President of People and Culture, both reporting directly to Paizo's president. Uh, quote, I have worked closely with Maggie and Rai during their time here at Paizo, and I'm excited to add their expertise and vision as we lead Paizo into its third decade of gaming, said Jim Butler, Paizo president. Maggie Gallagher joined Paizo in January 2022, so a very recent addition to the team, with over 20 years of HR experience uh, and diversity, equity and inclusion expertise She has served as an instructor, volunteer, and presenter for several LGBTQ plus organizations. Most recently, she has focused on groups and organizations that actively advocate for the rights of transgender individuals. Quote, I'm excited to join the leadership team and to participate in the strategic direction of the company, said Maggie Gallagher. So I think this is obviously a great move by Paizo. They've they've had some... Let's Pretty say bad some, some bad press in, in yeah. regards to the diversity and inclusion elements. And, and how much of that is true, we don't know. But this, from, from where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And and this certainly seems to speak to that as well. Uh, that they're, you know, they're taking the right steps mm-hmm. to, to course correct and do the right thing for, for a different uh, representation across Paizo. So I think that's that's really, really positive. And uh, kudos to, to both uh, Maggie and Rai for, for getting those positions. On a slightly more cynical note, uh, and this isn't necessarily <laughs> directed at this specifically, the quotes, and this is this is something you see so often in sort of public press press releases, if you will, uh, or blog posts, as this is for these kinds of things. They're quotes from people that are so painfully generic. I'm just like, what's the point, right? So like the the quote is like, I've worked with them for a while. I'm looking forward to seeing what they'll do here. Yeah, duh. Like the, you wouldn't have promoted them, and even like Maggie and and Rai's comments. And again, it's not their fault. I'm sure they were probably asked for a comment, and, and you know this is just what it is. But it's like I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to do my job here. Like, do we need this? Like, and and this isn't directed at Paizo. So many companies do this. Yeah, this is, and it's 
it's so pointless. <laughs> I like a, a little inside baseball here, and I don't think I've I, I've never named my employer on this podcast, and that's definitely going to continue because I got asked for a quote for them to publish about us adopting flexible working and working from home, which is great, by the way. Uh, it's w- one of the biggest benefits of working for who I work for. Mm-hmm. But I gave them a quote, and when the press release came out, it was changed <laughs> to be more like this sort of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, great. Well, that, that, was, that was a pointless exercise. <laughs> I, I would have kicked up on that. I would have been like, that's not my quote. You can't put my name to that. Yeah. That's not what I said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's like... I don't know. Do, do, do people get assured by hearing these stock phrases from people? Like, I, this is great news, right? And I don't want to detract from from that. Yeah. This is just a, a, a tangential a, observation a, as we all want to do. As Yes, as as normal, we're, we've, we've acknowledged the main thing, but we're going to talk about this little side <laughs> like, thing. Like, if your quote is not you know memorable or unique in some fashion don't bother like just don't just we know you're happy to be there see for a press release like this then you you wouldn't have any quotes i wouldn't have any quotes or i'd 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 put like both uh so, so say using this one as an exact example right i would have my my comment on it would be uh We've spoke to both Maggie and Rai, or we've had comments from both uh, Maggie and Rai, and they've they've both uh, commented on how excited they are about these positions. You know, something. Well, like how, that. Do, how do I know that they've said that? Because how you do you know that they've said that? You've literally <laughs> just said that your quote was changed, so it really doesn't matter. I'm dying. Uh, it's, just, it's like it's so. See if it was like you know. A Martin Luther King style epic speech, yeah, fire in. You know, I'd, I'd love to see something like that. But when it's just generic business talk, that of course you're going to say you're happy with your promotion. Of course you're going to say you're looking forward to what you're going to do there. If the quote was, "I fucking hate this place. I can't believe they've promoted me," I'd be like, "Put that in, fire that. I want to see that. I want to. I want to see that." My, quote. my, my thought was actually it was. Uh, Oh, we promoted such and such because they're really good at their job. Personally, I think they're a bit of a dick. But, you know, <laughs> you know these these are the kinds of things that that I want to see. You know, surprise me a bit. Don't just hit me with the uh, with generic business lines. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. the The fact of the matter is, this is great news, right? For for mm. Paizo, especially in regards to to, to Maggie's uh, position. Not to take away from uh, uh, Rye. Kong because I'm sure they, they've worked very hard for their, their yes. promotion as well uh, and and genuinely psyched for you guys, that's awesome, I hope you make Paizo uh, a better place uh, but let's just drop the let's drop the pointless uh, quote shall we guys? Shall we move on? Go Shall on then, on go on that? then you twist so, my um, I thought this was one an interesting uh, it, it, it's a bit of news in of itself but could be an interesting little springboard into a, a, a topic of conversation. Because we here. need so, those. <laughs> yeah. So, um, a recent Kickstarter has been announced. This is Suro Luxury Limited Edition. Now, Suro, uh, for those who are not aware, is a, uh, it's a game that's been out for a while now. 2005 was when it was originally released. Um, but 
very popular. Look it up. It's like, uh, I, I played it a few times. It's good fun. Uh, they have launched a Kickstarter for a, as the title says, a lux and that emphasis on the word luxury here because it is very fancy or very fancy looking anyway. Um, it the base pledge is three hundred and fifty dollars. That's about two hundred and eighty four pounds. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, this is, it's a thing that's been in the hobby for a while, these sort of limited edition luxury um, items. I'm thinking of, uh, 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 to a lesser degree, I know that Games Workshop do limited edition codices with, like, alternate alternate art. Um, we get it with, uh, with like, everything. Like, D&D do mm-hmm. collector's edition books. Magic do collector's magic, edition sets. Magic Magic does more collector's edition stuff than regular stuff now, it feels like. I, I, so. I, I feel like collector's edition board games are a little less common. Um, they do exist. A little less, yeah. Uh, but you don't like you don't see it quite as often where you'll get kind of a... a you'll maybe get like um, a Kickstarter where you get expanded stuff, but it doesn't mm. necessarily change the core box of the game, you know. But this is very much a luxury edition of. of oh yeah, Zero. I mean it is in. I I so uh, one thing to point out. I don't doubt that it's actually worth this three hundred and fifty dollars because it's in a, a, it's in a carved wooden box mm-hmm. for a start. They've got like solid metal pieces for the gaming pieces. The uh, tiles. Well, the like rules really... are on like a proper scroll, like a, a yeah proper, a scroll like, of bamboo. Yeah, bamboo yeah. scroll. On, like it looks beautiful. And this is this is the thing, right? We've spoke about Zero a while back. I don't like the game that much, but mm. I love the aesthetic. It is a beautiful, yeah. like even just the the out of the box High Street edition is a beautiful, beautiful game. It's it's like Wingspan. It's in that kind of visual you know, impressiveness yeah. uh, style. So to, to like have this luxury edition, it's you've got this like type of satiny bag that's, you know, like beautifully embroidered with these dragons. The game pieces are all like properly stunning uh, statuettes that are like cast from the looks of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is, it is beautiful, beautiful looking game. But I think the point that you kind of want to go on to discuss is is obviously these collector's editions in in games uh, that that we're seeing. And is it a good trend? Yeah. Because um, uh, FOMO is a thing that companies play on, and that's not a good thing, I don't think. <laughs> so I think I'm maybe going to take a, a slightly different stance here than, than okay. you might expect. I don't think this is a bad thing. And okay. I, I just have no issue with collector's editions. And my reasoning behind it is they don't give you anything that the core game doesn't have. So your your gaming experience sure. is not fundamentally changed. So this is like, to, to, to kind of explain what I mean, right? Mm. This isn't like a limited edition expansion to Cyril that's going to change the core gameplay loop or the core game mm. mechanics and give people something different to what your your retail Suro purchaser will get. 
right? They're mm-hmm. they're still getting the same game fundamentally. It's just that the presentation of that game is is you know leaps and bounds higher quality but it's still the same core gameplay experience if and to use games workshop as a as an example when games workshop released these these four more uh experiences so say like your limited box sets let's look at like curse city right if you Mm -hmm. don't get curse city in that limited window and I know that's not a, that's not a collector's edition like luxury edition, but just by way of example, you don't get it, right? Yeah. You are you're buggered. You cannot play that game. If you don't get this, you could still go to your high street and get Zero and play that game and have yeah. a great experience of that game. So, I personally, and this goes for like collector's edition books as well, I have no issue with them. I I okay. don't buy them myself. I I I'm very if anyone knows me personally, you will know I'm very precious with my books. Like I, I and all my kind of stuff, I'm uh, a bit of a neat freak, and I, I'm very mm. protective of, of stuff like that. Um, I think if I had a collector's edition, it would take it to the nth degree, and I just I don't need that in my life. Uh, so I, I like that they exist. I have no mm-hmm. issue with them existing. I think if you've got the money and the interest that you want to get collector's edition, fill your boots. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a little bit um, decadent, perhaps, uh, but it's an option that's available to you if you've got the the passion and the money, right? Mm-hmm. They don't take away from the game. That's that's my kind of take on it. So I actually don't. As long as the the retail edition is available, I have no issue with things like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, fair enough, fair enough. I mean. The thing that I always think about is Magic the Gathering and the specifically like stuff like from the vaults and uh, uh, the uh, what is it? secret layers. Sorry, the secret layers stuff. Because yeah, some of them are um, just like alternate arts mm-hmm. of existing cards. But what Wizards have done is that some of them are limited. Yeah, you know, we we talked about The Walking Dead yep. when that happened. Uh, it's happening again with Street Fighter right. and various other um, various other cards that do not have a they're not function they don't have a functional reprint in a regular set. It's yep. like you've got to get this or you'll never have uh, Rick from The Walking Dead ever again. Yep, and, you know and what I mean that's exactly the issue that that is the that is exactly the line where the problem i feel comes into it because yeah. then you are really encapsulating on not just formal but mechanical advantage right it's it's mm. a degree of pay to win in yeah in card games or, or board games or whatever which uh which, which with trading card games is like pay to win is already like a fairly bad thing yeah <laughs> yeah pay, pay to win is is fundamentally built into how card games work like, i always kind of wonder when magic was made like when it was first envisioned and crafted i don't know and, and i'll probably never know if that was by design right that like the game was was targeted at kind of what are now known as whales you know people with a lot of money who who could spend a lot of money on these things to be the best yeah so it I think yes and no. Um, like I've I've read interviews with Richard Garfield, and he talks about how he came about designing it. Mm. Basically, 
it was born out of a desire to have a game that would last no more than half an hour that he could play like during these D&D conventions while he's waiting for his next D&D game. Yeah. Uh, it, he wanted it to be portable, hence why it's all in cards. And he also really, he was really into um, baseball cards mm-hmm. as well. So that's where the idea of the booster pack came in. I mean, like I, I, I've, I've said for a long time, Magic the Gathering's the original DLC, mm-hmm. right? It's it or loot boxes. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've been doing that since the nineties. I cannot. So I, th- I think to a degree, it was designed with that in mind, as in, oh, we'll make this card rare because it's a really strong card. I, I very much doubt they ever thought it would have got to the stage we're at now, where like cards are worth like. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. I think you it, know what I mean. It sounds to me like it it was a a fortunate or an unfortunate, depending on your perspective, accident. <laughs> then really that you know they've. I mean they certainly they they manipulate it now, right? Like like I don't want to be overly cynical, but you know no, they definitely they, do. they are they are profiteering off this formal and this pay to win aspect. And they're not alone. This is not mm-hmm. to point a finger at Wizard. There are plenty of other card game companies. There's a whole market of mobile games and PC games and yeah. computer games now. That does. I mean, Diablo Immortal at the moment, if if you're not aware of the scandal of the pay-to-win in that, I'm not going to go into it, but go and Google it because it is disgusting. Um, like the, Disgusting. It is disgusting. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is a horrible, horrible pay-to-win model where you're looking at like in excess of a hundred grand to maximize your character in real, wow, real life money. Geez. You know, it, one character, not your game, one character. One character. It is disgusting, disgusting, and <laughs> that's the title of this episode. Just disgusting, <laughs> disgusting, uh, and you know, magic do this to a degree as well uh, and that's where I think your collector's edition and your luxury editions become corrupted right they become mm. they're, they're not luxury items which is what they should be that you have you know if you have the money and the passion for that they are targeted to to force people to spend an, uh, an unrealistic sum of money for mm. pieces of card right or yeah. or you know, expansion packs or whatever it might be. Um, and like, I always remember when I was a kid, I got into magic when I was very young. I got into mm-hmm. all of my hobbies that I have now, I got into when I was very, very young. I've just not really mm-hmm. grown up past like 12. And, and you said it, not me. <laughs> it is what it is, right? And when I would take my pocket money or my money that I got from doing a paper round to the shop and I would buy magic cards my my mum or my dad or whoever I was with who was a responsible adult would always be like why are you wasting your money on, on pieces of card and my response would always be because I am getting the an, an amount of joy from these yes. that I feel is a, applicable to the sum of money that I'm spending so like at that point in time yeah. I think I could pack a magic card for like two quid right like yeah. it wasn't much I think I could even get some for like one pound fifty um, and that was great, right? And I, I loved that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't justify to myself the the amount of expenditure that you are ultimately spending on one card or five cards in these, you know, these secret layer sets and things like that. Like mm. how I, I don't know the exact amount, and you can maybe 
clarify for me like how much a card is worth in those? Uh, so typically, like they they sell each secret lair for something like between thirty and fifty pound. Okay, so it's like and a tenner you, a cardish. Yeah, you could get like it, it varies depending on what they've put in, okay. but like you get some sets only have three, some sets will have ten cards, that, yeah. that sort of. Stuff. So if you're yeah. if you're rocking like, let's say seven to ten pound a card, right? Mm. That's a lot of money for one piece of card. And I know yeah. you they go for a lot more than that, like when You know I've spent more than that on I do. individual I do. cards. And I yeah. judge you for that on a daily basis, right? But <laughs> but like if you are getting that amount of joy from that single card, so if you think mm-hmm. that, that card is worth let's say an hour's wage, if that's how much you get paid an hour, or thirty minutes or whatever it is, or you know, however you balance your, your purchase to, mm-hmm. to work ratio, fine. Mm-hmm. But are you really getting that pleasure from it, or is it just that you feel that you're being manipulated into getting that? Because if you don't, then you won't have it, and you will be seen as lesser. Eh. Uh, <laughs> I'm not speaking to you specifically, Josh. No, I know. I'm talking you're in not. general terms here. This isn't. Yeah. This isn't f- Josh Day. This is just a general. Every day is. F- Josh Day in your world. <laughs> let's not say that. Uh... <laughs> Shall we end the episode on that note? <laughs> no! <laughs> Make up for another topic if you have to. Uh, no, the, the only thing I will say is I'm kind of, I'm cold on, not cold, I'm cool on Magic the Gathering at the moment. Yeah. It's not, it's not something that's peaking my hobby time at the moment. I actually uh, just I, uh, with me getting red. I don't have. I currently don't have an awful lot of hobby time. Yeah. If I'm be, uh, truth be told, uh, that will change as he's getting more settled in and it becomes routine rather than effort. Mm-hmm. But um, he's he, he's kind of my focus at the moment. So you you're know. big softer. Yeah. Um, no, no, I get that, and and I think that's very like I I kind of cooled on magic after you moved away, to be honest, because you were the mm. person that I kind of played with the most, and even that yeah. wasn't that much. Um, but I get I get where you're coming from. I don't know. I just I, magic has done some really interesting things recently. Uh, you know, they did the D and D set, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, they did Strixhaven, which was really popular. Uh, they had like the Kamigawa. Uh, neon stuff which I didn't get into but was nice to look at mm-hmm. uh, and I, I appreciate them being creative I just don't really get into uh, the the abusive sort of formal perch. and it's, this is the same for GW as well I just don't don't go in for that and, and I kind of wish and we've said this before stop doing it like just mm. just stop Please. it just put out good products and people will buy them that's that is your key. Mm-hmm. If if your product is good and it's interesting and you market it correctly, and I appreciate that's not easy to do on any of those fronts, but if mm-hmm. you do that, people will buy it and you will you will have a better relationship with your consumer. And I appreciate that Wizards of the Coast of Games Workshop are probably not listening to this going, tell us, Tom, how do we run our business? But they really f***ing should because yeah. like it is... And, and it's not just them. Like Blizzard and EA and all these computer game companies as well like put your put your customer first like and, yeah. and put out a good product before you think about how much money it's going to make you and and tell your shareholders to shut up uh as well and i probably got a business for doing that yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Right, now on that note, yeah, we'll you can end this it. episode to a close. So, uh, guys, as always, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.